Hey listeners, before this week's episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. Many of you have reached out to chat personally about the business and how to move your career forward during this pause. This is important because auditions are happening again. In response, the Breakdown Podcast has created a four-week audition and business intensive called My Audition Appointment, all online. Each week, you're going to be given a different television or theater audition side, just like an agent would send. And each week, we're going to cover essential topics like how to get an agent, how to book at an EPA, everything you need to know about the Actors Union, and so many more. The intensive culminates in a showcase in front of three high-profile previous podcast guests where you get to meet them, get feedback, and ask them anything you like. Basically, get networking during this pandemic. I know we've all been out of work for literally ever, so the best part is, for this first intensive, the cost is literally literally, a fourth of what other comparable intensives are. For more information, head over to our website, thebreakdownpodcast.com, and click My Audition Appointment. All right, listeners, now on to the show. I'm Robbie, and this is The Breakdown. This week, I'm bringing you my conversation with actor Jenna Claire Mason. Jenna Claire is currently playing Glinda in Wicked on Broadway. National touring credits include Wicked, Newsies, and Flashdance. Regional credits include The Duck Commander Musical in Vegas, Thoroughly Modern Millie, Hairspray, and Grease. Jenna Claire is one half of the teaching team at Double Name Witches Studio, an online virtual musical theater school. Listeners, I am so excited for you to hear this conversation. Jenna Claire is kind, compassionate, smart, hilarious, and obviously wildly talented. She's also a very good friend, and I'm so excited for you all to get to know her a little bit more as well. Now, for the rules of Glinda and Alphaba in Wicked, there's a unique path most of the women take to playing the role eight times a week on Broadway. It's nothing like I've ever heard of before for any other principal role on Broadway. Jenna Claire's story of auditioning several times for the role of Glinda, booking the standby on Broadway, then re-auditioning to play the role full-time on tour, then just being offered the full-time role of Glinda eight times a week back on Broadway is an incredible story lasting over five years, and Jenna Claire takes us through every step of her journey with the show. I think it's going to help you, me, all of us understand that there's not just one path or one way to your dream, and sometimes you just need to keep doing good work, even if you keep hearing no. Jenna Claire was hearing no when she was auditioning for Glinda, and finally she heard a yes, and now she's been playing the role for over five years and doing it on Broadway. So someday that no will turn into a yes, and it could lead you to flying in a bubble on a Broadway stage. Jenna Claire tells so many great audition stories, not just from Wicked, but for Flashdance and Newsies, and I'm so happy she shared these candid and honest stories because some of these are auditions like I have never heard before, and sharing these stories really is what the podcast is all about. It helps us realize what the business actually is like and brings us together just a little bit more. So sit back, relax, and strap into your bubble, folks, because here is my conversation with one of the most popular Galindas, Jenna Claire the Good. Do you still want me on the show? Jenna Claire, I'm so excited to talk to you. <laughs> I did test record, but that won't change anything about like how we're talking or whatever, but just so you know. Are we going to talk um, about our Toronto adventures? Like me popping your zit? Like you're an esthetician. <laughs> like you didn't even go to esthetician school. You just like clairvoyantly know what to do and how to do it and how to make a lady feel cared for when it comes to mask me. No, <laughs> it was before masks. You know... 
maybe I've missed my calling. Maybe my quarantine pivot should have been should have been <laughs> being an esthetician. Cut a what a shut Well, I'm so honored and thrilled that you're doing this and chatting with me. And it just means a lot to me. And you're someone that I've always wanted to have this conversation with and talk about on the podcast for many, many reasons. But I'm so happy that it's finally happening. And you. you you are obviously playing the lead in, I like to say the biggest Broadway show because isn't the Gershwin the biggest Broadway theater? It is. You got your stats right. So that's huge and that's really cool. But the more importantly, you're an amazing, cool, honest, great person who I feel you make it all look easy. You make this industry and this business look effortlessly beautiful and wonderful. And you're such a positive person and um, about the business. And there's so many actors who are just jaded and have negative things to say, but I don't think I've ever heard you say anything about that like that. And, you know, I think it goes to show that that positive attitude and that way of looking at the, not just the business, but the world, Uh, people take notice and it's just like who you are. And I think all of that stuff helps you have the wonderful career that you've had. So you're, you're in my mind, a perfect person to be talking to about, about all of this. That's so sweet. Thank you. You're making me feel so good. That's really, really kind of you. Robbie, did you know we're coming up on our three year anniversary of friendship? Yeah. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Munchkin Land <laughs> Wicked Tour. You came to visit. And that was such a wonderful, a wonderful time. Love and at first tour stop. <laughs> I know. And I just remember my first kind of like impression of you is what Mary Kate said. She was she was talking, oh yeah, like you can come and we have a two bedroom with Gina Claire, but Gina Claire's leaving to go on a cruise. She's taking her week off. And she said you could just sleep in her room, in her bed. And I was like, who is this kind, again, what I'm talking about, who is this generous, kind human that's just like offering up her sleeping quarters to like Mary Kate's friends? Please come sleep in my bed. That's like, you know, it doesn't sound very COVID friendly now, but at the time (laughs) it was like, you know, what's mine is yours. Sharing is caring. (laughs) Totally, totally. And we got to like know each other for just a little bit because then you went on the cruise ship. But then, yeah, but then it was Toronto, I feel like, when we got to really hang out a lot. But then you came back for more Wicked the Musical, couldn't stay away. And that's when we formed the Jean Jacket Club. (laughs) (laughs) It was just, I just think we took pictures of all of us sitting on the couch late one night after a show uh, wearing Jean Jackets. Thus, the Jean Jacket Club was formed. Yes, and still in existence today. Absolutely. Uh, We have to take some new photos. We're wearing Jean Jackets right now. So we're going to definitely talk all about uh, uh, so much about Wicked. It's been such a big part of your life and your journey, but I kind of want to start talking about, you know, usually it's what are you up to now? What's uh, what are auditions you're going on? You know, stuff that we just really kind of aren't doing right now. But what I do know that you're doing is that you and Mary Kate, who was also on the podcast, I can't think of which episode, but she talked about it when she was on the podcast right when you were first starting the school mm-hmm. and talked about it. But I want to hear all about how it's evolved. But I'm talking about Double Name Witches, the musical theater online school that you started with your BFF, Mary Kate, who you toured the country with in Wicked. 
if people have been living under a rock and don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but I, I just want to hear how it was birthed into the world and how and why and exactly what it is. And, you know, was this always, was teaching always something that you thought you would do somewhere down the road? Just kind of, just kind of all that. But I guess just tell me how it started. Yeah, sure. You know, Mary-Kate and I had kind of taught individually when an opportunity would arise on the road or, you know, when we were in a certain city and people would want sort of a master class. I had gone back to Nashville, my hometown, and and done some kind of one-offs there. But I think I've always, you know, I didn't, I went to school to get a BFA in music theater. I didn't go to get a teaching degree, but I've always had a lot of respect for teachers and what they do. I think it requires a special person with a special heart and I know I have so many teachers that I'm grateful for growing up, you know, in school and in the arts, but I'm sure you feel that way too. I think with aspiring artists, it's so easy for me to remember, like it doesn't feel that long ago that we were in those students' shoes, you know, just little Broadway hopefuls, aspiring artists with creative juices flowing and to get to be part of fostering that and nurturing their growth, I think is, is really special. So when I have had the opportunity, it's always something that's been really special and really meaningful and just have loved it, but haven't had a chance to do a ton of it just because when you're doing eight shows a week, I feel like what you're doing is preserving your voice and, um, you know, trying to maintain your energy and yeah, just kind of in total self-preservation mode and teaching does take a lot. I mean, it takes your, your, of course it pulls at your heartstrings, right? It's passion, darling. Um, but, but then it's using, of course, using your voice. And then I think over zoom, you know, that's a whole other platform that even though, it's virtual. I'm, in some ways, it might even be more demanding because you're trying to pop off this one-dimensional screen to a group of students, right? Hold their mm -hmm. attention. Hold the Zoom room, if you will. Anyways, I'll back up. So I think it was April. At that point, we kind of realized, oh, Broadway isn't coming back this month. Mary-Kate was playing Janice on the first national tour of Mean Girls, and I was playing Glinda in New York. And we were just kind of having a catch-up phone call. And, you know, on the road, we would always talk about and dream about ways that we could continue working together because we've always had, I think, kind of a special partnership that made our relationship on stage and off stage, I think, really special. But yeah, just kind of dreamed about ways that we could continue working together. What would that look like? Would we have a girl band? I think at one point, we said, you know, we go to all these cities, but we don't have necessarily the energy or the time to do all the tourist things. So maybe we'll go back and play some pubs and do all the tourist things we never did. So yeah, the fans on the road nicknamed us the double name witches just because we both have two first names, which I thought was <laughs> adorable. Thus the hashtag double name witches was formed. So we'd actually had this Instagram account that a fan made Robbie, like years ago. So of course, when all this started forming, we were like, hey, by the way, could we have that Instagram handle? <laughs> so now they're double name witches. They like changed their handle and made it a Z and we got to have the S, which I think was very kind. So thank you, fan friend. And yeah, Mary Kate, we're on the phone. We're catching up. She said, you know, we both taught individually, but I think it's time for us to, you know, kind of put this 
dream of working together into play. And I don't, she said, I don't think Broadway's going to be back for a year. And I said, Mary Kate, don't, don't be dramatic. <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> I think at that point, my manager had called me and been like, you know, it might be September. And I was like, no, September. Uh, that was months and Here ago. we are and it's and December. Here we are nine months later. Um, so yeah, we kind of just started brainstorming about it. I was at that time I was kind of teaching, doing some virtual teaching. And so was Mary Kate and we were both in Nashville. I guess we kind of formed it all sort of over the phone, you know, at the end of May, we kind of had this vision, almost like a prophecy, one might say, sorry, <laughs> wicked jokes. And I, our dream was kind of for this first month to have two groups of eight. We said, you know, if we could have 16 students that we could work with, we wanted to keep our class sizes small and then just figuring out sort of the Zoom format, like what does it look like to kind of take these ideas and transfer it to a virtual platform, right? So we put that out into the universe, just, I mean, on our Instagram handles and on this double name witches platform. And Robbie, we got almost a hundred auditions and I'll never forget when those first few came in and we're seeing these students that are really talented. And I think Mary Kate and I were just kind of floored like whoa what are we starting what are we getting into wow these people are trusting us with their you know time and talents and it's very humbling and so instead of doing two classes we did four classes so we had i think 30 students that first month and the next month 50 and the next month 60 and then for the few months following, we've kind of evened out around 50 to 60, just because we're just two people. <laughs> and that's kind of our maximum capacity until, of course, we can grow and, and have you on as a permanent faculty member, because, wow, that would be awesome. Um, mm -hmm. I would love that. And so, yeah, I mean, over the last six months, we've probably had a couple of hundred students. And yeah, we're going to keep going into 2021. So cool. It's so exciting. You know, it's interesting that you're doing this, not doing your show every night. Like it's your, I imagine that you're getting your creative fix from teaching and watching these kids and, you know, you're almost kind of acting and working along with them. Um, I wonder when you go back in that bubble, how do you think, if at all, it will affect, maybe not your performance of Glinda is kind of, you kind of have to hit certain marks and, you know, do certain things. But do you think this is going to affect you as an actor? Absolutely. You know, it's such a good question. And, and going back into Wicked, like, you know, how does that, how do you think it translates into your own, your own career? I don't think you can watch and coach hundreds of people without being forever changed yourself as a person or a performer. I think Mary Kate and I both say, you know, the, the way we perform is forever changed. I totally believe that. So I think it's a really cool way for you to be creative and getting your creative fix and helping people and bring joy to so many people, but also keeping your instrument and your muscle going because it's, it is a muscle. And if I just had this great conversation with um, yesterday with, with Chuck, who's going to be the next, the next guest on the podcast. And he was saying it, it totally is a muscle. And if you're, you know, when you're out of work or if you're not working, 
you can't not be acting for a week or two weeks or a month or thinking about that because it just, um, it's difficult. And during COVID, it's so hard to, it's because it's depressing because our industry isn't happening. So sometimes working on theater and acting is, is not what you want to do when you wake up in the morning because it's kind of sad that we don't get to do what we love to do. But I think what you're doing is a great way of, of keeping that balance, but also spreading, spreading the joy and the knowledge, which is what it's about. Mm. I know you mentioned that you're kind of tired of looking at screens, like you've spent a lot, a long time looking at your computer today, mm -hmm. which so many people have in this new kind of post-COVID world where everything is virtual. But I think exactly what you're saying, you know, being committed to continuing to take class. I know I'm still doing voice lessons, but when you're teaching all day or working on your website or whatever in front of the computer, it's like, oh, do I want to go take a class in front of the computer? And the answer is yes, you do. You want to go flex those muscles. But I could, I even said to my husband this week, I said I was missing, there's an acting for film and TV class that I've been in, uh, one of Bob Krakauer's associates, Eric Rice. And I was saying to Eric, my husband, not Eric Rice, I was saying to Eric, my husband, oh man, I, I got to get back in class. You know, you start feeling rusty when that self-tape audition comes in and you're like, oh, I haven't, I haven't thought about this mm -hmm. skill set in a minute. <laughs> Where do we go from here? What's cool too, just in re-examining a role or your craft as a whole, but with Glenda specifically is... I think she's such a dynamic character and maybe I'm biased, but I dare say the most dynamic in the show. Granted, I mean, Nessa's got a pretty cool arc, not going to lie, but you know, I've played the role over the last five years, which was crazy because that's kind of a long time, but starting as the standby mm -hmm. and then moving to the role on the road and then moving to the role in New York. And I think it's, you know, not only as, as I've gotten older, but as I've become more familiar with the show or even more comfortable with the role, I think it does beg you to stop and re-examine, go back to the text, discover new things, rethink some things, try something different, have a conversation with your director about it, you know? So I think just because of the amount of time that will have passed between, you know, March 2020 and whenever Broadway comes back, I think it will, the role will definitely demand that I sort of re-examine my choices because I will have changed and so will everyone else. And, you know, these different lines will carry a different weight. I'm sure you've thought about it, but there's, I mean, of course, for fun, the line at the top of the show is, it's good to see me, isn't it? And I just think opening night, that's going to be, wow, a thrill. <laughs> People are literally having their timers <laughs> counting down for you to say that. <laughs> I know. And then the line at the end of the show, though, that is kind of haunting is the, we have been through a frightening time and there will be other times and other things that frighten us. Jen and Claire, and I just got chills. And hearing the literal Glenda saying that gave me <laughs> even more chills. But, you know, to look around, well, to look out into the audience, because at that moment, you know, I'm up in the bubble, but to look at my castmates and to know that everyone's sort of lived and survived, you know, through this difficult time and to, to be back on stage all together, I just think that's going to be, it's going to be heavy, but I think it'll be really beautiful. And it's going to mean so much. I mean, not that we ever 
I don't know. I think we kind of do. We did take Broadway and theater for granted because it was always going to be there, you know, in terms of going to see a show, but we haven't been able to in so long. And so I think that for at least the next few years, we every time we enter that theater or sit down or we hear that overture, it is going to be sacred, thrillifying. I dare say thrillifying. <laughs> so, sure. so it's going to be, I mean, it's just going to mean so much to, to so many people. You know, Robbie, can we go see a show together? Oh, please. But okay. your show is probably going to open and then we won't <laughs> be able to. It's okay. We'll, we'll find a time. So I want to go back. I want to go back in time a little bit and then we'll we'll like get back to Wicked. So I know you went to Elon for musical theater and so enjoyed your time there, made great friends. You obviously learned to be and already when you got there, but learned even more how to be wildly talented oh. because you are. So, but I want to talk about getting out of Elon. So let's talk about like first steps. You know, I think a lot of people who are listening are in those first steps right now. Right. They are just graduating. <clears throat> Maybe they're just graduating into this scary world right now. Right. But I just want to, you know, no path is the same, but I just want to know what happened for you, kind of how it happened. Um, you know, like getting out, did you showcase did you get your agent right away or was it, you know, a little bit of time and kind of like how it all came together? Sure. If anyone just graduated, I wanted to say, I love you and have hope. I just think there's going to be a really beautiful window of opportunity. And so many people are pivoting and I think people will come back, but I think some people won't. And I really do think that your time will come and be patient and keep taking class and keep those creative juices pumping and your time will come, I promise. So, because I, I think that group of students who, you know, just graduated, you know, with a BFA May 2020, whew, they've been on my heart because that's that's got to be tough. I mean, for so many people, but um, definitely for that group. So sure, Elon is unique in the way they do showcase. I don't know of any other school that does it this way. And correct me if, if you have any other examples, but you know, the traditional way of doing showcases, you go to New York with your school, you do one big showcase in front of a bunch of casting directors and agents. Well, Elon decided they wanted to do it their own way. So we do sort of a showcase series and we bring casting directors and agents to Elon one at a time, cool. which is really cool, I think, because, I mean, if somebody was really anxious and had an off night or, you know, was vocally tired or had a cold, you know, you, you feel like, oh, man, I worked all four years for this one thing and, and blew it or whatever. What's what's really cool at the Showcase series is I feel like you almost sort of get multiple opportunities and it feels more personal, you know, you actually have the chance to get to know these people a little bit better. So the format is, you know, obviously we pay them and fly them down and put them up and they get to see our facilities, which are beautiful. And we get a chance to go into the recital hall one at a time and, and show them whatever they want to see. And I think that's cool too, because different people want to see different things. You know, some people want to see contrasting cuts and some people want to see a little bit of a monologue or not. And so, or maybe somebody would sing something and they wanted to see something. What else do you have? You know? So that was cool. I think because going to New York, I felt like I had, and then after that we take them out to dinner and do a, sort of a Q and a. So 
I feel like I went to New York sort of having you know, a semblance of a relationship with some of these people like, oh yeah, we had Italian food that night, uh, that Wednesday night at Elon. And so that, that was cool. And through that, I met Jim Wilhelm of DGRW. I think after we went out for Italian food, I was his ride back to the hotel and I drove him through the cookout line, which if you don't know what cookout is, take yourself a trip down to North Carolina. They have something like you know, 100 plus different flavors of milkshakes. So we had milkshakes and chatted and kept in touch with him. And he he actually sent me in for a few auditions before I even graduated, which was really cool and sort of was, what's the word I'm looking for? I'm thinking subletting. <laughs> what is it when you um, sort of temporarily try out things with an agent? Freelancing. Freelancing. Thank you. Not <laughs> subletting. So close to subletting. Um, so I was freelancing with him and one other agent who had come to Elon. And I moved to New York. And my very first audition that I went in for was for Wicked, which is crazy. That's and wild. For the Glinda Understudy on tour. And I was so excited. And I went in and it went really well. And I went to the dance call. And one of my friends had taught me a combination and it was a different combination that they had us do, which is fine. So it was down to me and two other girls and they put one of the girls on the first national tour of Wicked and the other girl on the second national tour of Wicked. And I kind of walked over to Craig and I was like, hey, I'll do better next time. See, like, see you next time. (laughs) Wow. I didn't know that story. I kind of thought, you know, Wicked's not going anywhere. I'll be back. And now I know this combination too. So that's great. And because, you know, in the ensemble, there's so much dancing, darling. But you never had to do that combination. (laughs) I, I did grow up dancing and dancing is grand. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of you know this the singing acting dancing trio but with the wicked choreography specifically and Wayne Salento I think is just genius in his movement mm-hmm. but the counts are so specific and rhythmic and modern contemporary cool and I kind of grew up doing kind of the straight narrow ballet route mm-hmm. so but it's so cool and interpretive and even from talking to dancers on the road who have done the show for 10 years they say they never get tired of doing this movement which I think is cool anyways that was a little sidetrack but so the next audition I had was for the first national tour of flash dance and what's crazy is the girl that I was in the callback with for the Glinda understudy, she left her principal contract in Flashdance to go be in the ensemble to cover Glinda and Wicked because she'd always wanted to play Glinda. And then the next thing I auditioned for was to replace her in Flashdance, which is so crazy that in my first like two auditions in New York, I was already kind of running in the same circle with the same people. And I think yes. that's so true. Like, I mean, be nice to everyone because it's just good to be nice to everybody in in life and in general as a rule but also you're gonna see those people again so yes i always say like you see the same people at the same audition absolutely and you get to know them and yes sometimes they're gonna get it sometimes you're gonna get it and it's yes. just the circle of life so just cheer each other on be like great that one was yours maybe the next one will be mine maybe not we'll see <laughs> Right, right. Um, 
The Flashdance. Flashdance, the musical Flash Pants on Tour. Um, often confused with Dirty Dancing and Fame, but this one was the Flashdance, <laughs> the What a Feeling, the Water I Dance. I thought you did that. So Flashdance was your second audition in the city? It was. That's so crazy. It was really crazy because my husband, who was an air traffic controller at the time, I he was doing training down in Oklahoma because we'd recently gotten married and, and that's where he was. So originally I sent in a self-tape for Flashdance and then got a call back from that and so flew in for that in New York. But it was funny because I'm from Nashville and I've worked, you know, fairly hard to sort of neutralize my accent. I'm sure it comes out sometimes though for people who are listening. But being in Oklahoma, we were staying with some of my second cousins and I mean, I'm sure my southern accent was coming out. So when I got the callback email, they said, "Cool, cool, cool. She did great. Also, can she cut the southern accent?" Because this chick lives in Pittsburgh. So I went, oh, no, 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 no. I've got to get out of Oklahoma. <laughs> and so um, funny. yeah, it was that crazy, awesome Sergio choreography. Had to dance my booty off and sing some songs. This was actually pretty cool. At my final callback, Jason Howland was in the room and Jason Howland wrote the song, you know, astonishing that I, oh man, used for my college audition so i was like hey jason thanks for that that was totally. that was really nice of you for writing that song um of course if i could go back and tell high school me when i was picking my you know audition rap i'd be like girlfriend that song is really overused maybe you should pick something else but you know what it worked out i got to go to email. it worked out <laughs> so you do nine months of the show on tour and then you decide to come back to New York, you know, I mean, what's, what's a couple that things like? happened. I feel like I have to point this out. I did while I was on tour, I did send in a self tape for wicked again and nothing happened. So that was kind of round two with wicked. And then was that, do you remember if that self tape, I know wicked is kind of like opaque, you know, like Hannah was just talking about when she auditioned, when she got the role on Broadway, mm -hmm. she didn't know if she was auditioning for the tour or the standby yeah. or the standby on tour or Broadway. Did you know at this, did you know, was that no. self tape for the understudy for, or was it just like a general Glinda tape? General Glinda tape. Okay. So that's cool. That must've been nice for you to hear from them again, you know? So yeah. But because nothing happened with it, yeah. I was like, oh no, they hated it and deleted it right away. So I can't even find it anymore, which is just fine. That's fine. Right. But for everyone listening now, we know, you know, clearly they didn't hate the tape. It just wasn't <laughs> the right time. Um, or they forgot how much they hated the tape and called me in like a little over later. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's not true. Okay, so you make a so you make a Glinda tape when you're on the road. Cool, yes. noted. Very I cool. was in final callbacks near the end of tour for Catherine and Newsies on tour. Okay, and the chips fell where they were, and I didn't get the part. But they said, "Do you want to go out on the road and understudy it?" They weren't doing a standby for Catherine. And my agents, you know, I guess I'm still kind of fresh out of school. And they said, you know, you're playing a principal on the road and you probably shouldn't do that. And, you know, I, I say that kind of in a harsh tone, but, you know, I appreciated their 
their guidance and all that. But I grew up loving Newsies. I have three brothers and it's just like this. I mean, it's such a cool show. I mean, I would hold newspapers and run down the hallway of my childhood <laughs> home and jump on the couch and sing Carrying the Banner. So what happened, so nothing happened, but they kept, you know, every few weeks they'd say, you know, we're still looking for a Catherine understudy. It would come out on the breakdowns. And I was like, ooh. And I was getting kind of antsy and it was near the end. But you of- did say no. You did say no. Yes. Probably a hard decision to make. It was. But I think as it got to the end of the road, I kind of hadn't dealt with unemployment. And I was like, well, I don't want to not have a job. But the big catalyst for me was that they announced the show was closing on Broadway. I can't. I think I kind of thought, okay, well, we won't do this now, but the show's not going anywhere. And then it was going somewhere. It was going yeah. away, which was sudden. And I know a lot it of was cast members were upset and surprised by all of that. So I kind of thought, you know, I love the team, the creative team that's working on this. If I want to work with this team and I did, this is kind of, this is going to be the best opportunity to do that. So, you know, Flashdance ended, that announcement came out and I said, okay, I'll do it. And they said, okay, we'll come back in again. So I you did. had to audition again? I did, I did. Which is, you know, it had been. This is what this podcast is about. <laughs> it's about like the reality of what is happening. I mean, you got oh, an yeah. offer to do the standby and then they saw people, you know. Mm-hmm. And thank you for being so candid and like, you know, of telling course. us how it is because this yeah. is like, you know, kind of the stuff that's important to know. Also, I just want to put a little um, shout out to Jeff Calhoun on episode oh. 17 of the podcast. Such a cool guy to talk to. I have lots to gush about him. I am obsessed with him. Yeah. So when I said I loved the team, he was definitely at the top of that list. And um, this ended up being a kind of a catalyst for me because of Jeff. So I got the part to, to understudy on tour and it was such a wild experience. And the Newsies fans are so fun. And that cast, again, just brothers and sisters, mostly brothers, because that cast is almost all boys, um, came out of um, doing that show. So that was really special. But when we were in rehearsals, Jeff said, hey, I'm doing this reading. And there's a part that I think is really good for you. It's the Duck Dynasty musical. I think you should (laughs) and do this part. But like of all the parts, like I'm doing this new musical. Oh, great. Maybe it's I don't know, something very high, you know, highbrow, but it's like, it's the Duck Dynasty. I had never seen Duck Dynasty. And so I went in and I'm from Nashville and this was like country pop and country soul and country gospel. And the music in that show to this day is some of my favorite music I've ever sung. It was so fun, but I was playing one of the more peripheral characters, not in real life love her missy robertson she's great um real life friend now but so i got to play her um fast forward i'm gonna tell you this story but we might have to cut it okay okay (laughs) okay that's okay so jeff came up to me in rehearsals and said you know in 1899 one out of every 10 newsies was a girl and i've always wanted there to be a girl Newsy. And it was kind of my vision from Paper Mill. And I thought when we transferred it to Broadway, 
that we would have time, but there was too much going on. And so we didn't get to do it. So he said, you know, I want you to be the first girl newsie. And we're going to be traveling the country and you're going to be an inspiration to little girls everywhere. And like, Lord knows when this show, you know, is, is being done at high schools, there's going to be girl newsies. So, I mean, I was deeply honored and, and having grown up again with three brothers, I was like, cool, I can be, I can be one of the guys. That's great. So I got to, let me like ask you just already. I have a question. Okay. So what was your original contract to do? Cause like, what would the girl, what would a understudy girl in Newsies do? Like, was there an understudy girl? There had to be like on Broadway. So it must've been like a very- There was an understudy Catherine, but she didn't do hardly any of the scenes or choreography. She, there was somebody who was a girl who was dressed up as a boy who like moved sets and was there for the rally and things. But this was like pigtails. Like I had, I had pigtails. So you were a girl. You weren't. I was a girl. Right. Cool. That's cool. So we went through the whole rehearsal process. We spent a a month at uh, what is it? Studio forty two. Forty. Oh my gosh, Broadway's been closed too long. New forty (laughs) two. Oh no. And and then we went to do tech and we're everybody's favorite city, Schenectady. Um, God bless Ambition, the sandwich shop across the street. Love them. And. Yeah, I mean, we Jeff is I such a brilliant director, but we did these in-depth character studies. And whenever we were on a hold, somebody would hand a mic to a cast member, and you basically had to read your whole life story of your newsie, where you came from, your relationship with the other newsies, answer a bunch of questions. So, I mean, we were going deep in our character studies. So good for you, Jeff Calhoun. Yes. And we got to previews and about one month into previews, I was called into a meeting with Jeff and Chris, um, who are so great. And, um, you know, the head of Disney theatricals had come and just thought, you know, this is a show about boys, which this, and that's the way it was sort of established with the fan base. And, and so then the next couple of weeks of previews were kind of just cutting me out of all those scenes, (laughs) which was rough. And, you know, they cut my pigtails, RIP pigtails. That must have been hard. You know, in a way, in my my little sweet newsies way, it did feel like an artistic death of sorts, if I'm being dramatic, just because we'd put all that, you know, time and energy into our stories and, and rehearsals and things. So it was definitely a blow, but I understood too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, a lot of the, Newsies fans, because pictures did go up of me and the pigtails, know about that. And I'll still get messages from girls in high school who are doing this show and are like, you were the first girl Newsie. So, you know, I got to do it for a week of performances. So that was cool. Sniper. Her name is Sniper. What a gal. She was a tough cookie. (laughs) She was. She was. I do think it was confusing, probably. You know, it'd be like going to see Annie, the musical, and there's all these orphans. But like one's a boy. a boy and you're like, where if there was one line explaining it, maybe it would just be an afterthought. But you'd be like, huh? I don't know. So. But what about anybody's? What about anybody's, Robbie? <laughs> Come on. But anybody's had more of an arc and there was like a reason. You That's know. true. There was nothing written in for Sniper. She was just kind of like, what's she doing there? So 
that's fine. But um, I got to tour with that for four months and probably three months into my contract, I got an audition for Duck Dynasty. It was uh, going to go to Vegas and then, of course, to Broadway, very similarly to Flashdance, just, you know, Broadway bound for, for years. And so I said, you know, I'm not as interested in playing Missy, but I'd love to play that lead girl because, you know, I, I had done the reading. So I, I knew the part and um, Emily Padgett had done it in all the readings and it was Corey, Corey Robertson. So they sent me the material and I sent in a tape and God bless Jeff Calhoun sort of negotiated my way out of the Disney world, the Disney theatricals. And so I could go do this other project with him. You know, he was the director of this other project. So it was, I was very honored that he sort of plucked me out and, and took me to go work with him on that. And then, you know, so a few cool. months later to get to launch something totally different and brand new with him and something that was, you know, storytelling wise, you know, was so different from Newsies was very cool. So we rehearsed for a month in New York and move to Vegas, baby. Okay, but I just have a, another question about Newsies. So right. you're doing Newsies for like three months and do you go on? I was there for four months and I did not go on. Oh. Oh. Okay. You know what? Good for that girl for not calling out, but that's <laughs> annoying. It happened once, but I was at a wedding. So, you know. Life is more important than your job. My cousin Jay Marie got married and I was a bridesmaid and I was singing and I had to be there. And so, mm -hmm. but my friend Melissa Stedman Hart got to go on and I'm very proud of her. She's amazing. She was our swing and still a very dear friend of mine. Sweet. Okay. So you moved to Vegas. How long did you live there? I don't even, I love, I'm learning about you right now. I don't even know this. <laughs> well, Robbie, I had a six month contract. We were there for about a month and I was like, Vegas is the worst. And then <laughs> one month in something clicked and I said, oh my gosh, I love it here. I could live here forever. I legit fell in love with Las Vegas. Cool. The cost of living is really low. The weather is gorgeous. Entertainment, nature, shopping, everything is so accessible. I, yeah, I really liked it. Cool. And, and you were there for, so you were there for six months? No. <laughs> no, we didn't run that long. <laughs> I know. I was like thinking, I'm like, I feel like it didn't no, run. No, we did tech and then we opened and I think we did previews for two weeks. And I think we ran for maybe a month. I was there kind of middle of March to middle of May. It was quick. So... Wow. So another great conversation that I'm happy you're having on the podcast. Yeah. You get this opportunity to play this lead in this musical that's going to one of the entertainment capitals of the world with two-time Tony nominee, massive director Jeff Calhoun. And the hope is obviously to open on Broadway. And I'm definitely not rubbing this in, but I want like people to hear this. And then... Because this is what happens to... 70% of the musicals that are saying they're going to come into New York. And how did, did you know it was going to close? Did you know things were not good or was it shocking the day you got the notice? I mean, I, I guess. I mean, you could look out in the house and go, oh, 
um, I don't know how we're doing here, folks. They didn't probably look like the Newsies or the Wicked audiences. Nope, none of that. And so when we got the call, it was the Dodgers. You know, those are they're huge producers. Mm-hmm. When we got the call, the conversation was, you know, things are going well. The show is great. Vegas is not the home for it, but we're going to find another home for it and we'll be in touch. And I'm still waiting for them to get in touch. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? That phone will ring. But guess what? No one's doing theater right now. Yeah, that's true. They're still still looking for the home for it. But what was really cool is one of my favorite things that came out of it was – obviously the the friendships and and getting to work with Jeff again um but what else was cool is A&E who you know streams Duck Dynasty they asked me and some of the other principal cast members to go down to Louisiana to do to film sort of a making of the musical which was so cool because all of these sweet picturesque scenes you see on the tv show of duck dynasty it's just you know real family fun and you know louisiana loving and you know these gorgeous you know table scenes where the whole entire family is sitting around and eating these big amazing cajun meals and saying Mm. prayers and to be somebody sitting at that table and you know obviously the person i was playing was a real live breathing person that I was sitting next to was such a cool opportunity. But then I thought the little documentary that they made, which was kind of from there to the opening and I, I thought it turned out really well. So it's a I must sweet little memento. <laughs> you must see it. Is it on YouTube or something? I actually don't know where it is. I do know my suitcase got lost on the way to Louisiana. So for most of the interview shots they do of me, they let me borrow some really cool camo clothes. And so I'm like decked out in camouflage, which Corey's big song in the show is called Camouflage. <laughs> so enjoy. <laughs> That's incredible. I love that. Okay, so you get to do the documentary, the ill-fated closing of this musical. What happens next? I go home unemployed and I audition my booty off for what felt like an eternity, but that was kind of my first bout with unemployment. Thank mm-hmm. the Lord. I, I kind of jumped from one thing to the other right after graduation. So here I am sort of two years into my professional career with my first break off. And I mean, I thought it was the end of the world, which feels super ironic at this particular moment in time. But um, yeah, just, I mean, I think for five months I was auditioning for everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some things you get callbacks for, but if it doesn't pan out, it doesn't pan out and you're on to the next, right? So. And were you living in New York? Had you moved to New York? That's a good question, Robbie. No, I had never lived in New York City proper. When Eric and I got married and moved to New York, we moved to Binghamton, New York. Have you ever heard of it? I have because, because as you know, baby. MK and I went to Syracuse. And so, so do you know how far away Binghamton is from Manhattan? I, I feel like quite a ways because it's closer to Syracuse, I think. It's 
like three and a half ish hours, but on a Greyhound bus, which is how I was traveling, it was more like four and a half hours. So I think the worst days were the days where I'd get on the first Greyhound bus out of Binghamton, go into the city, go to a really crazy tap dance call, get cut, and then get back on the bus. <laughs> you know, those, those were the roughest days, but we did it. I think a oh, lot of actors, my gosh. Like, having first moved to the city have like pretty some pretty horrific open call stories, which I, I think I just said open call. It was a, it was a dance call that I went to for the tap stuff. So I didn't really do open calls, but I do feel like my time on the Greyhound bus was you paid your dues. I, like I can't I even believe dues. that story. Some people complain about going to like Queens or Washington Heights or Brooklyn, but you were coming from. Binghamton. I got so many Greyhound points, though. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be worth something. Okay. So you said five months. So what happens at the end of that five months? Yep. Hung out at Port Authority a lot. Scary place. Scary place. You got to find the right corners um, <laughs> or av- and avoid the bad ones. And at the end, uh, well, I'd say about four months in. I had my, where are we, Robbie? My third audition for Wicked. Okay, so they call again. Mm-hmm. Like your agents are like, Jen and Claire, they want to see you again. So you got to be like, wow, okay. Like, you know, I don't know. Did Were you, think, were you thinking that they were tracking you? Were you getting excited? Or were you just like, oh, it's just another audition? Um, Honestly, like, what was it? Were you like getting excited? Like, or was it like. Well, initially I said no, because I know the first thing they asked me to come in for was they did say it was for the Glenda understudy on, on tour. And at that point I had done a couple of principal roles. So again, my agents were like, I don't know if you want to do this. And, you know, Eric and I had been married and doing long distance for two years at this point. And I'm going, you know, do I want to go back on tour to understudy? Maybe not. So I I think we kind of passed and said, you know, if if a principal contract comes up, let me know. So Which short- this is important to talk about because a standby is a principal contract. It is. And can you just like say in like maybe a sentence or two, I guess what a principal contract is? Sure. So there's ensemble contracts and or core I think it's technically is it chorus contract? Robbie? Yes. Sure. Yeah. And then principal contract. And yeah, it's the difference in. But a standby. So a standby is not in the ensemble. They are just there to understudy the lead role, but they don't have their own role in the show every night. Yes. So the understudy is in the ensemble doing the show eight times a week in the women's dressing room, doing the whole thing, has their entire ensemble track, maybe with lines, maybe with solos. The standby, you are the first line of defense. So your only job is to be off stage, ready to go in your sweatpants and, and yeah, ready to go on at any moment. And so you're not living in the world of the show every night, which is interesting, especially when you Mm -hmm. don't go on for like three months. But we'll get there. So you say to your agents, yeah, uh, yeah, your agents say, well, if a principal contract opens up, we'll talk about it. Yep. So a couple weeks later, they said, all right, 
Uh, we are looking for people for Glenda on Broadway, Glenda on tour, standby on Broadway. But so I'm going in not knowing specifically what I'm being considered for. Mm-hmm. I've seems like a common thread. Yes. Kind of go through the ringer again, several callbacks. I feel like I'm a pretty sober judge of how I do. And I have to say that particular round, my last audition, my final, final one, I think was maybe the best audition I've ever had in my life. I walked out of that room and I was like, you know what? If I don't get this, maybe I'll never get it because it went so well. I was in there for, I think, 45 minutes. They really worked with me. It was so, it went so well. I just, I left on cloud nine uh, only to get a call a few days later that I didn't get it, which was crazy. I was like, oh, oh, okay. Oh, back, back down to earth. Um, Fast forward. And I think this is the craziest part. And this is what the story I like telling the most, because it's just evidence that everyone kind of has their own journey to Broadway, but I'm in Tennessee I'm visiting my family. I let my agents know I was leaving town. I'm on in the car on the way to the dentist appointment to get a cavity filled. Brush your teeth, kids. And I get a call from my agent and he's like, uh, where are you? I was like, I'm in Tennessee, remember? <laughs> he said, um, I need you to be on a Skype call. Remember Skype? That's what we used before Zoom. <laughs> I need you to be on a Skype call in an hour with Brian Perry, who is the music director of Wicked on Broadway. And I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. So I canceled my dentist appointment, ran home, threw on a dress, got on Skype. And Brian Perry is sitting in the stage manager's office on Broadway and asks me to sing the opening number of Wicked, Acapulco. This is the crazy, wait, this is the craziest story I've probably ever heard. For like, what? Hashtag Acapella? Skype callback. Let us be glad. Like everybody go home or you're probably already home. Sing the opening number of Wicked Acapella. Good luck. No one mourns the Wicked. So then I guess guess that went okay because they were like, all right, we need you to come in one more time. I mean, I think at this point, having actually gone in the room for it, I think I'm on my like seventh or eighth time now. Yeah, it was kind of bananas. Wait, so you, they wanted to Skype with you last minute, an hour and be in a Skype room, and then it was to then come in again for the show? Yes, because Brian Perry couldn't go to that. Music director wasn't available to go to that casting call, so he wanted to see me one more time before they saw me one more time. Oh, okay. So I mean, okay, okay so... I mean, remember I just told you, I was like, oh, I felt so good about that last audition. So here I go for my like final, 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 final callback. And it went well. It was fine until the end when, you know, I have the Glinda audition packet with all the scenes and songs. And they ask me to sight read a song that is not in the Glinda audition packet. Thank goodness, which I dare say is the hardest song that Glenda sings. Oh, for sure. And it's that kind of song that like maybe you like to sing it along to in your car, Robbie, and other people. Always. Tapping on the steering wheel. But the rhythms are fairly difficult. The intervals are sometimes not what you think they are. It's just, it's a difficult song. So they handed me the score, which note to self and to anyone who wants to play a role 
that is part of a long running show, just go ahead and learn the whole score. The script is out there. The score is out there. If you want to play Jean Valjean, like get your hands on that material and just do it. So they hand me the score and they say, sight read this. And I sing, thank goodness, to the end, you know, the high note that she sings. And they have a camera right here. <laughs> They're filming me for Stephen Schwartz, who has to sign off because I, all the creatives have to sign off on the principal contracts. So right. I walk out of that room and I was like, there's, I'm, I wasn't ready for that piece of the puzzle. There's no way I'm getting this. And sure enough, I don't hear anything for a week. And then I get a call on Sunday night that, or Monday, I get a call on Monday that they want me to start the next day. And I live in- but On Broadway. On Broadway as the standby. And I live in Binghamton. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do? I mean, obviously you're like, great Broadway debut, principal contract standby. I have to imagine it was a dream role. Like- Oh Yeah. And did you know when you went in that last time that it was for Broadway? So the Broadway part is huge because it could have been tour, like yeah. it could have been Korea, London. Yeah. Well, Australia. London would have been amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I guess it seems like it was a very last minute thing. Like someone it was a contract. Yes. Yeah. So someone was dealing with some vocal damage and needed to have surgery. So that's why I had been in a month earlier. And then last minute they were trying to find sort of a replacement. So by the time I actually got there, I only had a week to learn the show before I started as the standby. Wow. And then how long, when did you make your Broadway debut? Two weeks later. Wild. Wild. And moved to Harlem. <laughs> Who was playing Glinda? Who are you standing by for? My dream girl, Carol Lindsay Massey. Mm. Amazing, especially because of the Newsies connection. Dream come true, for sure. It was sweet too because Kara and I had been at an audition together that summer. Um, we were both <laughs> auditioning for Les Mis. And I met her and I must have been really weird in the bathroom and been like, I want to be Glinda someday, which I'm sorry, Kara. Thank you for being my friend. But it was really sweet because on my opening night she gave me one of those giving keys that said dream on it I still have it and wear it but she gave it to me and she said because you told me this was your dream and here's your dream oh my gosh she's so tender I love her so much I could stand by for her forever she's she's genius total genius total yeah. legend we love legend. we love her um so something that was cool was that, you know, when you join a show, you usually get to sit in the audience and watch it. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching this show and I'm listening to this girl sing Alphaba. And I was like, huh, this voice sounds really familiar. I feel like I know this girl, but I feel like it would have been the girl I saw in London, but this girl has an American accent. And so then I check my playbill at intermission. And sure enough, it's Rachel Tucker, who four years prior, I saw play Alphaba in London when I was studying abroad. And I said to my friends at intermission, this, she is the best Elphaba I have ever heard. I mean, she is rock star Elphaba. And then to hear mm -hmm. that same voice four years later and make my Broadway debut with her was really rad. And then actually I was texting with her today. She's so cool. But she, I told her when I came to see the show in London, she was like, I mean, in her Irish accent, but she said, oh yeah, I was four and a half months pregnant then. I was like, yeah, of course you were. Just defying gravity at four and a half months pregnant. <laughs> you go, Rachel Zucker. Amazing. 
amazing. That's amazing. Okay, so this is like what I'm very interested in because Wicked is like a unique beast. Yes. So you're standing by. The hope is to play the role full time, right? Like that you're hoping at some point like that that will be something that you do. So do you talk to your... Obviously, I guess people know, like your agents probably know she wants to play the role. The casting director knows you probably want to play the role. You're in everyone's ears. And so how does playing the role on tour happen? Did you audition again? Like what's yes. that What's that all like? I did. So I was a standby for 16 months. I was. Wait, I didn't know that. 16 months on Broadway? Wow. So roughly how many times do you think you went on? Oh, I went on exactly 26 times. And if you do the math, that means I was backstage for 500 something shows. Wow. Which was crazy, you know, to feel like, oh my gosh, this is my dream role. And then to be sitting backstage every night and be like, I feel like I'm so close. (laughs) I'm so close and yet so far. Wow, you have spent so long in that building. It's been a long time. So I was really interested in playing the role in some capacity somewhere. Um, But like my first show, Mark Platt was there because Jonah Platt, his son, who's our producer, um, Jonah Platt, his son, was playing Fierro at the time. And my first planned performance, Lisa Liguio, our associate director, was there. So I was getting good feedback when I was going on. I just wasn't going on. And they, but they kept extending me, you know, I had, I think I had a six month contract and then another six month contract and then another six month contract. I don't know. I kept, but I, I kept staying. And during that time, are you, are you like the Glinda rehearsal? Like you're, you're doing like, re- are, are you like doing like put-ins and rehearsals and things like that? Yes. I did a number of rehearsals. You know, I think there is some sort of rule. If you cover a rule, you have to rehearse every six weeks I think it might be so I was doing some rehearsals but I'm sure our understudy Lindsay Northern was doing some rehearsals too and she was an Elon grad so I even know that I weirdly came and sat in on one of her rehearsals because I just adored her as an Elon alumni (laughs) um I love her she's she's still she's still at Wicked I mean not at the moment but you know what I mean yeah so yeah it was great I mean I do think it gave me a really op- wonderful opportunity to be in New York and experience New York. I feel like I got to be yes. part of lots of concerts. I got to do a lot of workshops for new musicals and loved that. And, you know, I didn't have the demanding thing happening eight times a week at night. So um, it gave me an opportunity to to sort of play and, and get to know the industry better and, and meet people and, and just sort of enjoy life in Manhattan because it was my first time really living in the city. Yeah. I'm glad you got to have that moment, especially because now you're doing the show, but you're living in New Jersey. It's just a different mm-hmm. experience living in the city and being part of that. So I lived in Harlem and I lived in Long Island city and it was cool to just feel like a New Yorker. Okay. So then, so then what happens at the end of that? Transition me to, to tour. Had just resigned to stay on Broadway as the standby. And they asked me to come in to audition for the tour, uh, which was just upstairs in the rehearsal room at the Gershwin Theater. And who was the audition for? Like, obviously, Lisa? Lisa and Craig were there. Craig Burns from Telson. Right. But it's like, you'd been doing it for so right. long. I know this is, you're not, 
you know, like I know MK had to audition for the tour, you know, after she had stood by. So this is not new, but it's just interesting, I think, for people to hear and know. Right. So when that audition happened, I had just played the role for a week on Broadway, which was actually cool. It was um, pretty near the end of my run as a standby. So that was cool to kind of feel, you know, to get to get a rhythm in because Mm-hmm. Up until then, it kind of had kind of been super random once every three months. Yeah. So to have a chance to do eight in a row is really cool. So I re-auditioned. This is December 2016. And basically, I don't know if I've ever told anyone this. I basically got a call saying I didn't get it, which was funny because then I talked to Lisa probably a week later and she was like, no, no, we just don't know yet because we're trying to find someone that's a good fit for the girl on the road who was Jessica Vosk, which of course she's like a force to be reckoned with. So mm-hmm. I'm thinking, cool, cool, cool. Give me a chance to to read with her and actually, you know, show you that I can, you know, listen and respond, et cetera, et cetera. So right. she was like, right, right, right. We, we just need to make some decisions, but uh, we're going to bring you back in. So I believed her and sure enough, so that was beginning of December, beginning of February, they brought me in for final, final callbacks for the tour. And I kind of felt like they were going to pick me to do it just because they waited sort of a long time to when they needed to replace the gal on the road, who was Amanda Jane Cooper. They like, it was two weeks before she was leaving. And usually they give the witches like a month to learn it. But mm-hmm. then I went to that final callback and, you know, Stephen Schwartz is there and David Stone. And I think, Robbie, I think there were like 30 girls on the list. So I'm kind of thinking, you know, this is it. I'm just I gonna- hate that when you go to a final callback. <laughs> and it's like, like if you've auditioned twice, of course, maybe the second time there's still going to be like 10 guys or girls. But sometimes I've gone in like three or four times and then there's still like 10 guys there. And you're like, really? You didn't whittle it down like a little right. bit more. Well, what was interesting is, and what I thought about probably after the fact, not in the moment, was okay if they were moving me to the tour. They're auditioning for the standby, right? Totally. So I got to sing "Popular" for Stephen Schwartz, which was, I mean, a dream come true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fine February day, and then and then I got the call that they wanted me to go on the road and. It was crazy because I was in final callbacks for Frozen. And so the call I got from my agents was, bad news is Frozen isn't happening. Good news. Good news. Um, you're going on the road. So I think I had one day off and then I went on tour. And my initial tour contract was five months. And I was on the road for 20 months. And you made a best friend. And I made a business partner. Friend. And I'm talking about me (laughs) you're my best friend mk and it was like super special and so wonderful and it's so funny because like i she was staying with me for like the week while she was going in for you know when she was re-auditioning for the tour when it was all kind of happening and then she left my place and went to europe and um and it was so exciting to hear you know her side of the story for you know, because it's kind of like two worlds like how do two lives come together and it just yes it's similar actually because you'd been a part of it, had to go back in, but also it's very different because she, you know, she was coming from a standby on tour. But I think it's something that bonded us that we both kind of come from this and sort of knew the wicked world and Mm -hmm. also just had a lot of respect and just sort of 
gratitude for getting the chance to actually step into these shoes full time. We were both kind of like, oh, we're here, we're doing it together. This is great. Yeah. And you respect because you've waited so long to do this. So it means so much to you. You've listened, you've waited, you've watched, you've like, you know, done the work. And then so it just means so much to finally be there. Right. And then you travel the country for, you said 20, 20 months? Yeah. This is a tender moment. I think too, when you're a standby, you know, everyone has their relationship with their witch, but when you're kind of standing and you're like, okay, it's me today. Hey, what's up? But I'll never forget one of the first times we were singing for good together. You know, we come in for the hug at the end and she hugged me and she just said, mine, like you're mine, like you're my witch. <laughs> like we get to do this together. And I think that was our first week. And, you know, we ended up doing it on the road together for over a year, which is crazy. Crazy. Wow. So then bring me to the next transition. I know you both leave the show on the same day, which is just like sweet, bittersweet. Meant to be. But I think I know maybe the answer to this question, but did you know, you didn't know that you were? I knew. Yeah, I found out right before. You did know. You did know. So did you have to re-audition? No. Good, good. (laughs) At that point, I mean, after 20 months on the road, everybody had seen me, which was really Mm -hmm. nice. Even, Even Joe, he came to Chicago, which was really kind of him. So yeah, they said... Joe Mantello, episode 20. Episode 20. They said, take some time off. And I was like, you mean like a few days? And they're like, no, no, five months. And I was like, no, that's too much time. But Mm -hmm. it was, it was good. It was probably so nice to like get back to yourself or, you know, I don't know. Well, it was great because while I was on tour, my husband moved all of our things like wasn't there to say bye to the apartment or pick the new apartment, but we moved from New York to New Jersey because he changed careers from an air traffic controller to a pilot. So we came out here for him to go to aviation school, which was wild. So it was nice to come back to my new home and sort of get settled in there. But I'm kind of a go, go, go person. So five months felt really long. I remember I ran into you on the street during that, during like that inter interim. It was sweet. That was really sweet. So then did you get another whole month of rehearsal? No. For Broadway? I think they gave me a couple weeks. And then the reality versus the expectation of playing the role on Broadway of actually you have had at that point you'd had almost four years or four years of doing it on tour and then standing by on Broadway. But I mean, the end goal is, you know, playing the role on Broadway and what you know, you would, I imagine you'd spend so long trying to get to this point or imagining what it's like and seeing what it's like, but then actually doing it. I don't know what, what comes up for you. It was, I just did the math. I was like, how long was it at that point when I actually started as the role on Broadway, I had been with the company for three and a half years. Wow. Which is crazy. You put in your dues. (laughs) I love to say like, you were really young when you started, Mm -hmm. you know, like in my mind, I guess the women that have always played these roles, like how old was Kristen? Do you know when she opened 35. on Broadway? Yeah. Like 
they weren't young. Like there's something you need to be able to play like act one of the show, but you also need to be able to do act two of the show. And so it seemed to me like you'd spend time growing into the show, but also growing as a person. And um, it just seemed like they, they probably always knew and wanted to keep hold of you that this would happen, Mm -hmm. but just kind of waiting for the right time. And so I guess, was it exactly what you expected it to be like? Was it different? Happy is what happens when all your dreams come true, isn't it? <laughs> no, it was amazing. It was so fun to to come in and take over the role full time in New York. And it was felt like such a sweet homecoming. You know, there's no place mm-hmm. like home, Robbie, because mm-hmm. I had spent so much time there previously and gotten to know everyone so well, because I was just hanging out backstage to be like, hey, I'm back. And and mm-hmm. and you're doing with Jessica Vosk, which is cool, right? Because yeah, you... And- tender because I opened with her on the road as the role and then got to open with her in New York. So Mm. that was a full circle moment for sure. Oh, here was something, Robbie. I feel like you'll appreciate this. I always, as the standby, wanted to get my hands on that dressing room and just kind of zhuzh it up, give it like a makeover. And I did. I got to do like a full, you know, new carpet, new paint, new furniture for the Glinda dressing room and that was so fun and it looks beautiful I know we're going to talk about that but I did get to go see it today which was crazy that's what I wanted to like maybe this is a great way to end so why did you go there today I went in April to pick up just a couple things but they said you know we'll be back in July or September Lies. Lies. No, I think it's, uh, you know, people are hopeful, which is Mm -hmm. great. But, you know, it's been eight months since then. And there's been a couple of things since then that I was like, you know, I'd really like to have Mm -hmm. that notebook and and that pillow and that sweatshirt and that pair of shoes and not Glenda shoes, personal shoes, like my tennis shoes that I'd keep in my dressing room to, you know, run over to the Equinox Mm -hmm. or whatever. So yeah, I went today to go pick up some things and it was crazy. I was telling you before we started recording, it feels like this time capsule just sort of frozen because you walk in and the call board says March 11th and has the in-out sheet from March 11th. And in some ways, it's everything feels exactly how you left it. In other ways, it's just eerie because it's been kind of sitting there for so long. I feel like you'll appreciate this. Um, They were making a brand new bubble dress for me, which if you've ever seen a brand new one, it's the sparkliest, prettiest thing you've ever seen. It's got 60 petals and 60,000 sequins. And so on March 27th, I think it was, I was supposed to debut that new bubble dress, but it never happened. But when Broadway reopens, there will be a brand new bubble dress, which is really exciting. And then something else I'm pumped about is I know April 11th was supposed to be my 1000th show. So we'll get to celebrate that little milestone too, when we're back from all this. That's wild. Yeah. A thousand shows. But I stood on that stage today and I looked up at the bubble and I was like, oh, we'll be back. And you will. And we all will. And... Mm -hmm just about keeping the faith and, you know, keeping our heads about us and keeping focused and knowing that it will come back and, um, and that we will be different. Like we will be different. We will be different people. Our lives will be different. 
your life will certainly be different and it will be exciting and we will be grateful and yeah will you come hang out with me backstage at the gershwin <laughs> of course i know you all the time i live on 70th street so i'm so literally cool. 20 blocks away you'll bring your golden doodle i'll bring my golden doodles yes so sweet puppy and parties we'll have... between shows on a two show day perfect 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 i love that gina claire this is one of the longer podcast interviews I've done, but I don't care because I'm so happy to see your face and to like, obviously, you know, I'm such a Wicked fan and I'm such a business of theater fan. So you gave me like both of my favorite things to hear and talk about. But more importantly, I'm just happy to see you and catch up with you and see your face and hear how you're doing. And um, I so appreciate your time and for and talking to me and I know people are just going to eat up every single word you said about all of this because it's so interesting and you know I love I don't love it because I'm sure it was stressful and aggravating but that it was really like your seventh audition you know for Wicked sixth or seventh audition that you know you finally get it so if there's something you really want or you know Hannah was just on the episode saying about how she auditioned for the show before and, you know, didn't even get a call back. And then the next time she auditioned, she didn't even get a call back. She just got an offer. Do you know, like, right. this business is so, um, if you audition once and you don't get anything, or even if you do get really close and you don't get it, it doesn't mean you're not the one. It's such a long game. It's a long haul. You're such a testament to that and putting in the work and just being there. And, and then, you know, full on Kara Lindsay, like, here's your dream. So um, you're such a perfect person to talk to um, for the podcast, but also in life. So, so I so I so appreciate it because it's hearing these stories from people who are in positions and have jobs like you do that I think really helps it sink in for the you know for the rest of us and for everyone listening. So, thank you. I appreciate it, and I appreciate you. I can't wait till I can be back in a rehearsal room with you, like coaching anything. Yes, <laughs> but just like playing together. For more information on the podcast and our guests, visit thebreakdownpodcast.com and connect with us. Let us know you're listening on Facebook and Instagram at The Breakdown with Robbie. And again, if you like what you heard, help spread the word and make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to this. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned for another episode of The Breakdown.